Hello, and thanks for joining us. Two sharp chefs and a microphone here. I'm Lorraine Moss, chef and journalist. And I'm Louis Victor, chef and professional food photographer. We started this podcast in memory of one of the best food culture ambassadors of all time, Anthony Bourdain. In his memory, we wanted to do the right thing and build a better sense of community among cooks, chefs, restaurant workers, and food lovers here in Las Vegas and worldwide. Two sharp chefs and a microphone. Yeah. Louis, I'm like giddy happy today. I know. I'm so stoked. So excited. Um, Let's start with this podcast sharp quote. The secret of good cooking is first having a love of it. If you're convinced cooking is drudgery, you're never going to be good at it. And you might as well warm up something frozen. (laughs) I love that. James Beard, the (laughs) Dean of American Cookery. (laughs) So the way we heard that name over and over. Uh, Yep. In our careers. Who was James Beard? Well, he hosted the first food program on television in 1946, the very first. Whoa. It's crazy. He was a very early supporter of local products and markets way before Farm to Table. Uh, He was a big time culinary mentor, which means a lot to us. And he wrote many classic American cookbooks, some still in print today. Many say he put America on the culinary map. Awesome. And today, Louie, we are stoked because our special guest is Catherine Miller. VP of Impact for the prestigious James Beard Foundation. Catherine is the founding executive director of the Chef Action Network. She was named one of the 2017 most innovative women in food and drink by Fortune and Food and Wine. Impressive. Yes. <laughs> and she developed and leads JBF's signature training program, the Chef Bootcamp for Policy and Change. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm yeah. very excited. This We're was excited. like in our wish list, right? Our top three. This is our original wish list was yeah. to have James Beard Foundation with Oprah and Dominique Crenn and Jose Andres. Yep. So we're 25% there. Yeah. are 25% there. That's yeah. 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 I mean, it's go. just Oprah, yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's start with the impact programs. Mm-hmm. The goals are lofty. (laughs) I was reading it last night and I was like, okay, awesome. Um, Bring together chefs, farmers, food companies to influence food policy and promotes a sustainable food system. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, just some small stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Right, right. (laughs) Sustainability. Oh my God. Yeah. But your mantra is simple. Uh, Good food for good. Mm-hmm. I love that, Louie. What does that mean to you? You know, I think it's actually something that James Beard would be really proud of. Um, as you pointed out, James Beard was the first of many things in terms of American culinary. He was the, f- he started as a caterer. Yes. Right? He started as a caterer, became a cookbook author, was this champion for American cuisine, champion local, but was also our first corporate endorser, right? He did all the things that chefs do now. Yes. And one of his basic tenants was bringing people together over food would help change their lives and the way they thought about things. Mm-hmm. And the influence that cooking has on our communities and our local economies. And so I think today, as we look at what good food for good means for us, um, where we're trying to bring together the pleasure and the purpose of food, like food always has to be delicious, right? We have to want to eat it. We enjoy it. It has these emotional connections. But for so long, food has been really extractive of the people who have worked in the industry, of the people who work in the fields to produce 
the fee, uh, the food. And we really wanted to kind of start working to write that balance. And so good food for good for us is bringing together those two pieces of the food system, right? What's delicious, what's meaningful, what is a great celebration, but also what can we give back to the people and our communities and the planet that produce our food? Wow. I know this is a very loaded question, but <laughs> can we, will we ever get there? I think we will get there. I mean, yeah. I'm eternally optimistic, right? Um, I look at what chefs and farmers and restaurateurs were able to do together um, in the 2018 Farm Bill. It's a piece of legislation that no one in America pays attention to, mm -hmm. but it feeds all of us. Um, it's the subsidies and the programs that help support American farmers and help promote organics. It's also 90% of the bill goes to um, help feed people who are vulnerable and food insecure. It is America's food bill. Um, and there were great forces at work that wanted to um, take away those benefits for vulnerable populations that didn't want to see organic programs continue. And chefs and farmers banded together and were able to not only stop that, but get a bill that has the first food waste provisions in it, right? right. That expands organics, that expands funding for small farmers and women and um, people of color who want to go into farming. And so I know that we can do it. It'll just take a long oh, time, yeah. Yeah. which is not necessarily the chef and foodies forte. No. This is not a community that has a lot of patience. Right. <laughs> Isn't that amazing, though? Something that we all need to live, yeah. to survive, is not something that's necessarily um, we something we think about. Maybe it's because it's an embarrassment of riches for many of us, especially chefs. We get so much great food all the time Yeah, um, that it's just crazy that most Americans don't know where it comes from. They just think, oh, it comes from the supermarket. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, go ahead. It's super convenient. Yeah. I yes. mean, that's what it for is. For many of us. Right? Yeah. Yeah. For, for a majority of the population, no, nobody really pays attention to like the little details, where the food comes from, who grows it, how many steps right. it takes. What do they put in it? From farm. Right. To your how long does it take? Exactly. Where it's from. I think know? that's changing though. I think I see, I mean, we're all looking at the same sort of data and information mm -hmm. and the millennial generations and the Gen Z generations. They care. Mm -hmm. They are really interested in where that food comes from. They're really interested in that all their purchasing decisions um, reflect their personal values. It doesn't mean they don't stop and get a McDonald's hamburger or something that's convenient in the airport, right? But now companies are responding that even behind the scenes. Even our biggest food companies, our most ubiquitous ones, are making better decisions about where they source from, how they influence the supply chain. But our food system works exactly the way it was intended to work. It just right. works for in all the wrong ways that we support, right? Mm. It was intended to create a system that made food easy to find, affordable, and was safe, right? And that is what it does. It doesn't actually deliver all the time quality at scale. It doesn't always deliver deliciousness at scale, mm -hmm. nutrition, nutrition, nourishment, especially, right? Yeah. And that's why what I'm really excited about, though, is the role that chefs and consumers, the eaters of the world, which I am, I'm not a chef, I'm an eater, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> and um, that we can all play together in influencing that. Yeah, let's talk about that because Louie and I constantly on this podcast and in our private time, yeah. we talk about how more of us, more chefs, um, need to be more active voices for change. Uh, tell us about the Chef Boot Camp 
for policy and change and how chefs like us can get involved. Yeah. I mean, the Chef's Boot Camp for Policy and Change is an amazing program that was modeled after a organization called Revolutions Per Minute that was founded by Pearl Jam. So mm-hmm. in the early 90s, when Pearl Jam and other artists were banding together to protect their artistic interests, to fight against um, folks like Ticketmaster, to protect their bottom line, they got training from people on how to do that. Hmm. How to talk to members of Congress, how to appear before congressional committees, how to reach out to their uh, folks. And when we were looking at the systems, two trustees of the Beard Foundation, Michelle Nishan, who's a chef out of Connecticut, and Eric Kessler, who's an eater like me, um, were looking at the cultural power that chefs have, the proliferation of food media. Especially now. Right? <laughs> Especially now. I mean, we influence the chef and food community, influence everything. It's like this, you know, kale is the cerulean blue sweater of food, right? Like it is. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. And it, it it works like that. And so. And Jose is Anna Wintour. <laughs> and, and Jose is totally Anna Wintour. Right. Um, and, you know, Dominique Crenn is Alexander McQueen. Yeah. Right. Like right? <laughs> right. But it, it works like that. And so what we saw, you know, what Eric and Michelle and others saw and what the James Beard Foundation saw was the incredible power and influence that chefs held, but they weren't necessarily trained to do it. Right. right? Um, and And so in the same way that you train to go into your kitchen, right, and make that next new dish or perfect something and the new dessert or to find a new technique, you got to practice that same muscle in policy and in talking to the member of Congress and talking to your local councilman. And I always talk about it like, how do you get that ordinance that says you can have tables out for cafe service? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. You got to get through a process. Right. Right. And you don't get through. We're all about processes. Yeah. (laughs) And you don't get through that process by yelling at the city supervisor or the mayor. You get that by making the case about why that's important to your business, but why that's important to the community. So it's almost like a HACCP for a policy change. Completely. It's funny, though, that you mentioned yelling because that's our favorite way of communicating. Yeah, right. right. Because, I mean, how how else would you drown out the uh, audible sounds in the kitchen? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all, yeah, chef, get it done now. Right. (laughs) Well, it's also something we love. I mean, our, our informal mantra at the Beard Foundation and our impact programs is chefs get shit done. Yeah. yeah. Every day solving. We don't have a choice. We don't have a choice, right? <laughs> but that makes you incredibly powerful to go in and talk to a mayor or a councilman or a member of Congress or even a president because they are looking for solutions to yeah. the problems that they are facing. And they need practical solutions, things that work, right? right. They need compromise. They need so like and chefs do that every single day right. with every single plate. Yeah, with every single plate multiple times a day. And yeah. so how better, what a better community. The other thing is most chefs and restaurateurs, your taxpayers, your employers, your mentors, right? So the idea that being able to go in and harness that power, train yourselves to have those conversations, to learn about the issues that you want to learn, and then deploy that across our food system, like that's where my hope comes from. Yeah. So I saw an application online. So is that where you start? Yeah. So anybody who's interested in attending the Chef's Bootcamp for Policy and Change can fill out an expression of interest form on our Mm. website at jamesbeard.org. It's super easy. It gives us a sense of what you're interested in. Are you interested in learning more about nutrition and uh, or a school lunch? Are you interested in learning more about climate change? And then we can sort of direct you either to organizations or this year, our policy focus for the next year is on protecting SNAP, is on protecting 
making the food access and benefits available to vulnerable populations. Oh, wow. I'm so interested in that. And you hear that Las Vegas chefs, there are so many of you that we love and respect and we're Justin friends Franco. with. Yeah. I just thought of <laughs> Justin Franco too, um, that are always looking to do good. Um, this is a great opportunity and it'd be great for Las Vegas to have a voice in this and a part of it. Um, the James Beard Foundation, it's really at the forefront of American cooking. Why do you think it has such staying power and clout? Well, I mean, I think one food is the single t- subject that touches us all, right? And all when you eat. I mean, it is. It's literally the thing that will kill us if we don't eat, mm-hmm. but could also kill us if we eat the wrong things, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It grows local economies, it's jobs, but it's also that community. Why I think James Beard as an organization has such staying power is truly the chef community. It is the most generous um, group of people I've ever seen um, in terms of how they support one another, um, how they come up with solutions to problems and, you know, oh, our water main broke. How, well, how do I do this? Or, hey, three guys didn't show up for work today. Can anybody send me workers today? Oh, hey, I got this new gig. Can somebody help me do that? Right. right. It is an incredibly <laughs> generous community. And so I think they, the community really powers us. We also always say that we're for chefs and by chefs, right? The original founders, the people who saved the James Beard house after he he passed, we're chefs. Julia Child. Mm. Julia Child. <laughs> Julia Child. You know, Mary Sue Milliken, right? Uh-huh. Like yes. amazing Mary folks. Who Mary Sue? Yeah. <laughs> Little fangirl moment. Mary of Sue. course. Right. We always have a Mary Sue fangirl moment. <laughs> right, I know. There's always a time for that. And I Susan. <laughs> and Susan. Um, so the James Beard House in New York. It's home to around 200 events a year. Yep. Um, it's quite an experience just being there in the space, feeling its history. It's small, little original kitchen. Um, <laughs> it's very small, original kitchen. It's very, kitchen. very small. The fryer's <laughs> very small. Right. Um, Is chefs, it fry daddy? Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Chefs from across the country, of course, cook there. Um, it's just good vibes, Louie. I can't wait for you yeah, to see it. I know. I'm excited. How do you feel in that space? Oh my God, I feel such reverence when I walk in there and especially when I see the chef, the faces, especially of the younger chefs or people who are not- Up and coming. Um, the up and coming chefs, um, right? Sous chefs or a new chef for the first time who walks into the space and their eyes go big and they are literally taking selfies with the James Beard portrait, right? <laughs> me. And it I did is, it. Yeah, <laughs> right? And it's so fascinating. You know, it's so wonderful to watch um, that it holds that sway as the Carnegie Hall of food that you truly can come. I think it's the other thing that we always love to highlight, which is for many chefs, for most of the chefs we work with, food is also their art. It's part of their personal expression. And I think sometimes we lose that in like the technical day-to-day of the line or the speed of how things move. But that's, people are expressing themselves through what they're choosing to put on the plate. And to watch that happen at sort of the highest level at the Beard House. I mean, people bring it. Yeah. Even, I mean, we've had Franklin Barbecue there and I love Aaron and it's barbecue out of a smoke pit and he brought it, right? Yeah. Like like it's such a different experience to be at the house, right? Um, It's amazing to see some of the new stuff that we're doing. We just had this, um, we, the last couple of years, we've had this amazing cocktail series um, called Cheers Queers during Pride Month. And to watch the house, James Beard was a queer man, a gay man. And he like to watch his, his house being turned into a huge celebration for that community and have all the folks that are cooking there be of the LGBTQIA um, community Stuff like that is what that house is for. And when I see that and I see the looks on people's faces, it brings such joy to my heart. And it's also an honor to carry forth his mission. 
Yeah. I get chills every time I think about the memory of being there and I had a week and a half there and it was probably, it is the best week of my life in my culinary career and just being in that setting. And I did the selfies with the James Beard portraits. You took a picture in the bathroom. I definitely did. (laughs) Thanks for giving me tips. Yeah. I definitely carefully walked those really small stairs (laughs) that creak and it's like old school, you know, with the wood and Mm -hmm. yeah. And just was in awe the whole time. Uh, just being in the presence of greatness every single day there. I'm so excited for you, Louis, for your April trip. Oh, no. I mean, you're just, it's going to be life-changing. I mean, was, I, even at the door, I was like, selfie, selfie, like the little tiny plaque. Oh my God, the little, there's a little plaque in this little old sort <laughs> of New tiny. York gaslight, you know, with the address of, you know, 167 West 12th Street and the James Beard house. And it kind of feels like a Harry Potter moment. Like you don't see it, like you're walking by it and you don't, if you don't see it and then yeah. you see it and you're like, <gasps> platform nine oh, yeah. quarters, yeah. a little. Louis just trying to like, you just said Harry Potter too. Her cat's <laughs> yeah, name okay. is Dobby. So oh, okay. oh, what could make it better? Yes. Nothing. Yeah. It is a little nine and three quarters. Yeah. <laughs> um, so speaking of just the amazement of being in the house and the James Beard Foundation and its awards are you know, the epitome of, you know, respect and clout (laughs) in the industry. Yeah. It only started in 1990. That's pretty crazy. Um, I swear to you, you put that award in front of your name and it happens here in Las Vegas. It can make your career. Yeah. Even just being nominated. Right. James Beard Award nominated chef Sheridan Sue. Right. Yeah. You know, like that can totally impact your chef career oh, and your restaurant and your restaurant and everything. And, you know, I think, you know, it's been, this is our 30th anniversary of the awards. We host them every, the first Monday of every year, which is roughly around James Beard's birthday. So they're okay. also a celebration of him. Um, and, you know, I feel like they both come to represent a pinnacle of the profession um, yes. in the sense of like true excellence, but increasingly that excellence has to include something other than just on the plate, right? So increasingly the last few years, we've certainly seen the chefs really take that message of good food for good um, and watch um, the chefs really respond to that and the voters really respond to that. And it's been so amazing to see different communities take, uh, to get that medal, right? I mean, watching, um, you know, Nina Compton or Kwame Anwache or Mashama Bailey, like get their first Beard Awards and just what that meant or, you know, having Ashley Christian on, on stage last year as the outstanding chef, something with which is an award around longevity and talk about her wife in the audience, right? And talk about her mission as a what she's trying to achieve with leading with kindness in her kitchens and how each of them, like the last couple of years have just been really amazing and even brought the awards to a new level right. um, in the celebration of good food for good because it's not just what you put on the plate, it's how you operate your business and how you are as a human yeah. too. Yeah. Let's talk about the JBF women's programs. Um, It has personally, and and many of you know who listen to us, um, I mentioned the James Beard Foundation pretty often because I really feel like I wouldn't be in this space right now without it um, in my chef space, but also here um, doing this podcast and wanting to do more to make a change and feeling the confidence to do it. Uh, I definitely had so much help from Mary Sue Milligan and Susan Feniger um, in the Women in Culinary Leadership <laughs> Mentorship Program. It's like the longest name ever. Um, it was 
such an opportunity. The six months turned into eight months and turned into a year and now a lifelong friendship and mentorship that's made a difference in my culinary career and my life. Why does the foundation make this a priority? Because I know there are several women's programs and it's something that you really push. No, I mean, I think for us, when we were looking, you know, even pre Me Too, right? Because the Women's Women's Culinary Leadership Program and our Women's Leadership Programs actually launched um, in 2015, right? Um, We were looking at a community of people who are underrepresented in kitchen leadership, mm-hmm. overly represented in culinary school, 52, 53%. Right. Of everybody who graduates from a culinary school or a hospitality school is a woman, right? And we are looking at dire statistics that show us that seven, 10, 12%, right? But not more than that yeah. are head chefs. executive chefs in the positions of making purchasing decisions and the positions of making hiring decisions. And that is a real gap. And so the foundation under the previous leadership of Susan Ungaro really made this commitment to look at what those challenges were. And so we've put it into essentially four buckets. We look at scholarships. So how can we fund more women going to culinary school, hospitality school? How can we fund more people going to the University of Washington to study soil quality? Just how do we actually increase the number of people who are studying within our food system and provide the necessary financial aid, that very first step that they need to take? Mm -hmm. Then how do we help people who have made that first step take that next step into their career, the Women Culinary Leadership and Mentorship Program that you went through, right? How do we match rising stars, young chefs who have the energy and the enthusiasm to do this with lifelong mentors, right? Um, And then taking it even to the next level, how do we work with women in this industry who are amazing, right? Who are unsung leaders who maybe have three restaurants or, you know, have been working in the industry for five to 10 years or super successful, but have no idea how to scale their business, right? Maybe they have it on a vision board, but they don't know how to break through the old boys network. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to get financing that isn't their credit cards, right? right? They don't know that they, they don't necessarily have the confidence or the vision or the time to think about that because they've got three kids and are right. right doing all the things that women do. And so putting together our women's entrepreneur leadership program. And now we have a new program that's city-based. We're going to bring it here to Las Vegas in December um, called Owning It, which is a one-day intensive for women who are hustling, right? Who have a side or work in one job and have a side hustle as a caterer over here or are, you know, trying to develop their new wine brand or trying to develop their new bar, but haven't necessarily taken that first step. And so owning it is... We didn't know about this. Yeah. This is our new program. We just launched it um, about 14, 15 months ago in Chicago. Um, We go city to city. So we're going to five, um, somewhere between four and six cities over the next 12 months. Um, And Las Vegas will be one of them and um, support of the Women Hospitality Initiative that launched. Perfect um, uh, marriage. Perfect marriage with what Elizabeth Blau and um, that whole amazing group of women are doing here in the city. Um, And that's just an opportunity for women um, and women identifying people in the city to come together. They get um, intensive training on visioning. Um, They get intensive training on how to sell their business, um, how to, what the basics that you would need for financial literacy are. And the hope there is that we can launch that women businesses will launch. Sounds like something Louie might do. Sounds like it's up your alley. (laughs) Um, On the subject of Las Vegas, we've noticed a lot of Las Vegas chefs lately Mm -hmm. cooking at the James Beard house very recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think as a New Yorker of our burgeoning Las Vegas food scene? Well, I think probably the food scene's always been here. 
and just been a little maybe hidden, right? Right. It's been here for the people who are locals and work, right? Right. I think, you know, this has been a market for a long time, which has been, you know, commanded or, you know, by the big names. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think what's fabulous that the city of Las Vegas, what UNLV, what Elizabeth and other restaurateurs, what the community is really demanding is, hey, you have to pay attention to not only that, which there's some amazing stellar stuff, but here's this other stuff that's happening too. Right. Right. And it is, um, so I think that, and the city especially too, and we're seeing this more and more around the country, is also recognizing that culinary tourism and culinary experiences are one of the number one drivers for oh, travel. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? For us, it's an amazing difference between when I moved here or you moved here. Oh, yeah. And it was a city of gambling, and, and it still is. It I'm not gambling yeah. in but buffets. it's not the same <laughs> because so many people come here as a culinary destination. It's really... I think the only place in America yeah. where you can do it all in one street. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, New York City has a lot. Los Angeles has a lot. Chicago, obviously. But on one boulevard, you've got Joelle Robichon. You've got Mary Sue and Susan. You've got Guy Savoie. You've got Pierre Gagné. I mean, yeah. just the list could go on and yeah. on and on of the crazy amount of talent that's in one place. And then now, what Louis and I talk about a lot, the burgeoning scene off of the strip. Right. Downtown. Summerlin, Henderson, these places are now attracting outside visitors mm-hmm. as well as the local visitors. Yeah. And some places are gaining new, uh, much needed national recognition for things they've been doing for generations. Right. Yeah. Um, I think about Penny and her mom. Yeah. Right? Yes. And Lotus of Siam. It's an institution. Like, it's an institution. Right. And that is really incredible. She was a graduate of our Women's Entrepreneur Leadership Program this last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about, you know, this, uh, it, there's an amazing food scene here. And I think what's great is that the community is not waiting for anybody to notice, it's saying, notice us, right? right. It's not just yes. hanging back and saying, oh, when's everybody going to notice us? No, it's saying, knock, knock. Yeah. We're here, right? Um, and I think part of that is also just the great hosting it does of events and things around the country where we can always discover new people. So, yeah. One more question. Mm-hmm. We can hear the passion and we love that when we talk with someone, we can hear the passion in your voice about your job. And I believe I, it was on your Twitter account that I read. I'm such a stalker. Like I'm a research stalker. Yes. I was up all night. I love it. Um, <laughs> it said that you possibly have the best job in the world, like something like that to that, that effect. Mm. I mean, why do you say that? I do have the best job. I get to work with um, the James Baird Foundation has given me the opportunity to combine all the passions that I love in life, right? Politics and policy and advocacy and getting people to actually demand the government and representation and policies that we need, right? It's given me the opportunity to do that with a community of people who are by far the most generous, the most passionate, and actually the most dialed into our food system in a way that, you know, other experts are not. I mean, the other piece I love about chefs is they touch everything. Every part of the food system every single day, the producers, the fishermen, the ranchers, the farmers, right, the servers, everything. And so I love that, you know, the Beard Foundation is really recognizing that potential and I have the opportunity to do that. And then, you know what, I have the best job because I get to eat a lot. 
<laughs> and all the best the food time. from the best chefs. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny. People always ask me like, what's their best meal that you've ever eaten? And I'm like, I've gotten the opportunity through our chef's boot camp for policy and change to eat a bunch of meals that no one else will ever get to eat, which is to watch 15 chefs who have just spent two days thinking about how to change the world, right. make dinner for each other. <laughs> right. It's lofty again. Lofty again. Right. It's, it's amazing. So it's, you know, so I, I truly have the best job. It's a job that the foundation is really focused on the impact that we can have as a community and as an organization, um, that it's centered on food, which is our love language and our narrative memory language as humans. Right. And that yeah, it gets to hopefully inspire people to make a change in the world. Food should be a love language. Food is a love yeah, language. Right. We, we need to. Food is memory. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. All right. Perfect. We're going to move on to On the Fly. On the Fly. 60 seconds rapid fire questions with Catherine Miller from James Beard Foundation. Are you ready? I'm ready. The pressure. Okay. Yeah. We're going to start the time now. The food you must have. Oh, my God. The food I must have. Cheese. Oh, good one. <laughs> Uh-oh. We're asking it. Uh-oh. Uh, favorite James Beard dinner. <laughs> Favorite James Beard dinner. Um, last year's Audi series focusing on our women's entrepreneur leadership alumni. Love it. Best tool um, for your job. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Why? Why? Because yeah. um, it was all cooked by amazing female chefs, and, um, women chefs, and we didn't refer to them as women chefs. They were just chefs, chefs in the kitchen and cool, we loved because it. they are. Yeah. Uh, best tool for your job. Best tool for my job? Mm -hmm. Oh, um, Instagram. Absolutely. <laughs> ah, cat or dog person. Oh, I'm a dog person. My husband's a cat person. He won our love of our life. Lily. Oh, <laughs> most inspirational chef. Oh my God. Um, Oh, so many. I know. <laughs> all, the, all 250 chefs who have given us their time to go through the chef's boot camp for policy <laughs> and change. Right. Dream place to travel and eat. Oh, my God. Paris. Always Paris. Always Paris. Oh, oh wow. That's okay. I can, actually can really just... want to know some of these. Yeah, um, me too. So I'm going to keep going. Childhood food craving. Uh, childhood food craving oysters on the half shell from the Gulf. Mm. Why the Gulf? I grew up in a little town called Niceville, which is on the panhandle of Florida. Niceville. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure. Um, Pringles from the mini bar and hotels. I oh. travel a lot. What flavor? Just regular. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> How do you relax? Oh, loaded. Loaded <laughs> Another question. Loaded. Um, a nice um, homemade Manhattan and some Netflix binge. Right. Good one. The last most important one. Death row meal. Oh, no. <laughs> death row meal. Oh, that's harsh. Um, death row meal. God. Ah. It was like a top three things in that meal. Mm -hmm. There's top three. No. I, okay. Totally. Uh, sh shrimp and grits, probably. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Shrimp and grits. Or maybe some department uh, grocery store ramen with a piece of American cheese on it. Oh, okay. my God. <laughs> Catherine is also basic B, but that's okay. That's totally basic. <laughs> you like what you like. I love when people what are just like? like super awesome, lofty and like intelligent and then like basic B because yeah. I'm totally like that too. Did you call me basic too when I was like doing this? Well, cheese pizza. That's what I say sometimes. And I'm like, really? I said well, that? I like, like chocolate cake. I want cheese pizza for my last meal. Okay, well, calm our, down. Our director, <laughs> director of community initiatives, Colleen Vincent, we were like, what's your favorite thing? And she's like, yellow cake. 
Oh Hot yeah, Preston. Duncan Hines, like, Betty Crocker. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. You know, now I'm trying to perfect my gluten free yellow cake for yeah. Her. Goes Dang. back to food is memory. Yep, total, totally. <laughs> okay, last thing we're gonna sell at Catherine. What's on tap for JBF? Oh, um, well, two things. I mean, everybody should apply to the Chef's Bootcamp for Policy and Change and the Expression of Interest because I think that is really important. March is Women's History Month, um, so yes, we yay. are um, doing a whole slew of fundraisers online and in person. Um, across the communities, across the U.S. And so would love people to come out and support our um, women's leadership programs. They can follow it using the hashtag JBF Women Lead. Follow us across all the social on Beard Foundation. And um, there will be a special edition T-shirt for sale on our website. Um, quotes Ann Kim, who um, won one of the best chef awards last year. And in her amazing speech, um, her first quote was fuck fear. <laughs> and so that I t-shirt will be for sale. <laughs> I need this. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sale starting, I think the second week in March. So awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. It's a real honor for us. Thank you. Thank this is you. super fun. And thank you, of course, to the spirit of the legendary James Beard, James Louis. Louis. Yeah. Thank we you, did it. Yep. Awesome. Tick, one down. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Two Sharp Chefs in a Microphone. We love subscribers almost as much as we love food. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review. And check out Two Sharp Chefs. That's with a number two on Instagram and Facebook, as well as our WordPress blog. Email us with any questions and ideas at twosharpchefs at gmail.com. And Louie, we stream new episodes every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. It's been a pleasure. We're 86th. Till next week.